Hello and welcome to another episode of The Third View. I'm one of your hosts, Hamish. And I'm your other host, Aaron. And today we're joined by Arub, I hope I said that correctly, who is a call out from Hannah's episode. Would you like to introduce yourself a little? Hi guys, it's Arub. That's about it really, there's, there's not much else to say about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were a call out. Did you mention you, she was a call out from Hannah's episode? Yeah. Yes. How do you, how do you know Hannah? Um, basically, uh, Farah's one of our best mates and Farah is Hannah's older sister. So yeah, me and Hannah became friends as well through, through Farah. Uh, and yeah, she, she knows I'm into this kind of stuff. So she, she tagged me in this and she was like, oh, you'd be cool for this. So yeah, here I am. Do you like listen to podcasts much then? Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm very selective in terms of podcast listening. Whenever my friends are in podcasts, I'll listen to them. So I listen to Hannah's. I listen, you guys interviewed Noreen as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I know her as well, again, through Farah and Hannah. I listen to hers and I listen to a couple others. You did Armani Sayed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's really cool. She's a really cool journalist. Um, I really, I really like her work. But yeah, it's, it's very difficult because I think, I don't know if this is just my issue, but I, I find it really difficult to listen for prolonged periods of time. Like I have to see something, otherwise I stop, I zone out. Like I can't listen for that long. So a podcast after about 10 minutes, I'm like, shit, what just happened? Like, so I need audio, like I'm like a child, like I need visuals, I need audio, I need some sort of interaction for me to actually pay attention. So that's why um, podcasts are cool for me in terms of I love recording them and sitting down and talking to people. But listening back, I find very difficult. I get that because I literally, when I edit it, I can obviously, you know, listen and edit it. But after that, I just literally can't, I have to see a video version of of the podcast which ironically we don't necessarily have but we are on youtube with a little sound wave yeah if you just want to see a static image of our faces <laughs> cool yeah let's let's get uh into it i guess so you've mentioned armani and she's a really lo- cool like journalist are you a journalist yes yes i am basically my like i don't even know myself what i do to be honest like when people ask me what do you do i'm like <laughs> mate I, I can't i can't even answer that question so like i did I did stuff in, I studied law with Spanish at undergrad. Then I did my master's in law and the LPC. So obviously the, the goal after that was to, was to become a solicitor and, and get like a training contract. But I was never really that interested in that route. I was always doing journalism on the side. I just started working like whilst I was studying as a journalist. There was like a place that I was working for and where they were just like, oh, you know, we're looking for new writers. And then I started doing things with them. And then it just kind of escalated. And I'd do different um, interviews and, you know, talking to, to famous people. And I was always like on this focus where I love talking about stuff that a lot of people didn't really like to talk about. So, you know, whether it was to do with the LGBTQ community or basically literally anything like let's be real like with us lot brown people like we don't talk about anything just full stop that's just that's just a known thing that everything is a taboo for us for no frigging reason so when i started doing this i was like oh i want to talk about those things that everyone ignores because it's cool to make people uncomfortable so that's what i just love doing and yeah most recently um, i made my first kind of like a documentary on um, a gay asylum seeker that I met from Pakistan and he was someone that I met myself I found him through a mutual and it was just really like mind-blowing I think to to interview someone like that because 
obviously I'm open to this kind of stuff. I know there's a lot of homophobia when it comes to this kind of stuff, but for me, I'm already open. I like talking about things like this anyway. So it was very easy for me to be able to sit down and talk to him. And it was essentially just his story. Like this wasn't about anyone else. It was him being able to sit down and talk about who he is um, and his journey and, you know, everything he's had to go through back home and the reason he's here, which is essentially because his life was at risk in Pakistan. So yeah, that's why he found himself here. And um, yeah, I think it was just when, when I sat down and spoke to him, it was just, it was really sad because I could just see there was so much pain in his eyes. And I know that sounds really weirdly poetic and weird, but like genuinely, I understand that phrase because when I sat with him, I thought, wow, this guy has literally gone to hell and back and he's here and he's alive to tell the tale. And I think it's really important to have some kind of platform where people share their stories and not to have you tell somebody else's story, but to have them tell their story how they want to tell it. Like it's about their own narrative. It's not about somebody else who it has some kind of power being able to retell that story. Every single person has a right to tell their own story. And I like to think that I did that with justice when it came to, to this guy. Uh, we had to protect his identity, obviously. So blurred his face, changed his voice, all sorts. And even all of us, like because of how much of a, because we were stepping on very, very controversial territory, we all, like, in terms of the crew who were a part of this, we all changed our names just for the purpose of nobody wanting to, like, find us or, like, kill us or legit. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Stuff like this comes up. And, um, yeah, I think it, it was just it was just very, very eye-opening. And, and when I look at what I did then, when it comes to journalism, that's the kind of stuff I want to do. I, I want to sit down. I want to talk to people, people that you, you just wouldn't expect to find any kind of connection with, because I think that's essentially what it's all about. You know, you meet new people and you realize, oh, I didn't think I had anything in common with you. When in fact, I have way more in common than I thought. Yeah. So yeah, that that's basically it in, in a nutshell. I just like to talk about stuff that people don't really like to talk about. Um, and just encourage people to, you know, tell their own stories, share their narratives, have them basically say what they want to say without anybody else, you know, altering that. Say, how long was this documentary? We're not going to say the name or anything because obviously we don't want to link back or whatever. So how long was this documentary? I can, if I'm honest, I can, I can like send this out. You can, it's fine. You can promote it because I've protected his identity and that was the main thing. But it was like 35 minutes. And you had like an entire production crew. It was like, I won't call it a production crew, um, but it was just like, so I, I was interviewing him. So we were like, me and the guy were the stars as such. And then like, we had our cameraman and then we had our editor. So it was basically, and then another editor as well, who were working on this basically like start to finish. But yeah. So is that the form of journalism that you do like kind of video interviews or is that kind of a one-off? Because journalism, I just think of like writing, but it is quite a lot bigger than that. Oh, yeah. So like I've, I'm also freelancing as well. So the kind of stuff like I've written for like, for example, Metro and other publications here and there. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm doing right now. See, this documentary, we actually filmed it like a few years ago, but it was only able to come out at the end of 2020 because it took a while for us to edit and then it got kind of pushed underneath because there were other priorities that our magazine was doing. But yeah, when it comes to the kind of stuff I want to do, this is essentially the main stuff. When I think of journalism, yeah, I like writing and I really enjoy that side of things. But then I also think that when I think of journalism and being a journalist, it is 
video stuff is interviewing and documentaries and that kind of stuff that I want to do. Okay, that's cool. When you do these interviews, are you like on the camera at all? Or is it like always the, the subject? I'm on the camera as well. Like sometimes, because again, it's just my the guy I work with who films. He'll occasionally film me. He'll film the subject. He'll film me. And especially I think with that one, because we couldn't film him as much. We cut him out a lot yeah. because obviously we were, we were blurring his face out and stuff. So they'd occasionally film me. But then again, because of the protection issue in terms of like, not wanting them to trace it back. They were still limiting my face kind of as well. But yeah, like I've done other interviews as well in terms of like interviewing, like say celebrities, whether it's like Indian actors or whatever, if they've got like a new movie coming out. And I do stuff like that on camera too, but obviously that's like a different style. You know, that's more just interviews, sit down, chat with someone. That's like a very relaxed kind of thing, whereas obviously this was a very different kind of... Oh, is that like the time I see them on YouTube, like when you've got... It's kind of like a jokey kind of interview. Yeah, kind of, but not even not even jokey, because again, like when we... I'll be the interviewer, but then we mainly... We all film the person. So yeah. when it comes to... How familiar are you with Bollywood? Do you know Bollywood actors? Aaron started to recently watch a lot of movies. That's good. All for a girl. <laughs> no, 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 let's, let's cut that out. i watched my first one in like november right which one my first ever bollywood film which was dungle i don't even know oh dungle yeah (laughs) sorry leave that don't edit that don't edit that out i'm gonna leave that in oh mate i've been practicing he's already been roasted on this no but that was better than what i said the first time and I've, i've seen like six in total since so that's quite good which ones have you seen Look, I'm not going to be able to pronounce them. Well, let me... Uh, no, 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 say it. Come on, Aaron. Kabi Kush Kabi Kum. Mm. Watch that. Yeah. YJHD. What? You, Giovanni, Hedivani. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I've seen MS Donnie, The Truth Untold. That's so random. You've got a really random selection. <laughs> Azur, Azur. It's another cricket one. A-Z-H-A-R. Yeah, that one. And Three Idiots. Oh, of course. Everyone's seen Three Idiots. Oh, that's that's, cool. that's pretty decent seeing us started November 2020. You know? And it's like a nice variety. I haven't seen a lot of those. I haven't yeah. seen MS Thorny or Azar. I'd never, don't even think I've heard of it. Yeah, that's only because I started watching cricket like last week. So oh, right. <laughs> I thought I'd watch it. I've got, I've got more on my watch list. Yeah, I don't know. The only actors I know are the big ones from those like films like Amir Khan or Shah Rukh Khan and people like that. Obviously, yeah. You have recommendations for Aaron here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bollywood knowledge up. You need to watch Galhonaho. Wait, so Hamish, have you seen this? When I was young, I would have seen it on VCR. Mm-hmm. Back in the... Bruh, VCR. It's a blast from the past. And that's because I also had nothing else to watch because it would... And they would just be on the same Bollywood stuff on VCRs on repeat. Very true. Yeah, I feel that. It's my boy, Shah Rukh Khan, so you should watch it. Okay, I've, I've added to the watch um, At the end, I remember that one of the last dance thing stuff was in the rain or something on the stage. I don't remember what movie that was called, but I remember that was one of my favorite ones. That's that's a notebook. I don't I don't know what it's called. Um, one day I'll eventually remember maybe. Rithik Roshan is dancing in the rain. At the very, it's like at the very end. It's like one of the last few things. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, I don't want to butcher. I don't want to say it out loud because my parents can hear me right now. Once I want to write it down, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going through this explanation. Anymore. I think it's this one. 
Oh, Kahona Pyar Hai. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. That was one of the shit. Aaron, you'd like that one. I think that film's on YouTube, you know. I found quite a lot of the Bollywood films are like on YouTube, as in just like somebody uploaded them. But that's cool. What's been your favorite interview? Can you say that or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think because I've interviewed like... Or was there an interview you've done where you've been like, you're like, oh shit, I can't, like you were a fan of this person. Oh yeah, probably. Again, I don't know if you know this actor. There's an actor called Rambir Kapoor. He was in YJHD. Oh yeah, yeah, I I know. Yeah, he's the main one. He's the main one in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The main dude. So basically, um, it was only a telephone interview because obviously man's in India, right? And I'm here. So I had to like, <laughs> I had to like give him a call. It was really weird because they were like, oh, like we're just going to call you and Rambir will be ready. And I was like, oh my, this is exciting. And then they just called me and then it was his PR lady. And she was like, oh, hi, is this a Rube? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a Rube. And she's like, Rumbi's is ready for you now. And I'm like, oh my, <laughs> is he? Yeah, so like, um, I was like, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll talk to him. And then he was like, oh, what's your name? He was really polite. Oh, my God. He was like, hello, sorry, what's your name? And I was like, Arub. And he goes, nice to meet you, Arub. It's a pleasure talking to you. And I was like, oh, oh. Um, so, yeah, I was very starstruck in that moment because I was like, bruh, like, this is the actual Rambir Kabul I'm talking to on the phone. Was it just like audio? Was it like a video call? No, it was audio. And even audio, I was shitting it. So I don't even know how many bricks I would be shitting if it was like face to face. Like, good God, that would have been something else. But like, imagine it was just really weird because I think one thing I was quite surprised by was like his humility. Like he was so humble. And like, I don't know if you, because I've been following Bollywood since I was a kid. So it's a very, Bollywood stars are like placed on a pedestal, especially in India. They're like, oh my God, oh my God. It's like people treat them like God almost. They have this kind of approach when it comes to Bollywood stars. So um, that's why a lot of the Bollywood stars can come across as not very humble because they know that everyone's kind of dying over them. But Rambir was amazing. Like, he was so sweet. Um, I mean, the dream is to interview Shah Rukh Khan, obviously. The one. The king. <laughs> He's the dream, but we haven't been able to get him as of yet. But I've interviewed other people, like even... I don't know if you... Ha- Wait, how old are you guys? Are you older or younger than me? How old are you? We're 24. Shit, you're younger than me. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm 26. So, do you know the YouTuber called Diver Badman? He was... Yeah, palms up. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, him. So I interviewed him. He was amazing. I interviewed him in person. Really, really nice. He was, my little brother's a huge fan of his as well. So my little brother came to the interview too. And he was so sweet to my brother as well. Like he gave him like, like he was just really nice. Like he just sat and talked to him and just, he made a a lot of effort. But yeah, like I think... I tend to get quite starstruck easily anyway, like because I just, I've grown up watching so many movies. So I kind of look up to a lot of people on TV. Like you just saw Selena Gomez is like my wallpaper. Like she's like my, (laughs) she she is my number. I literally, I have her on my walls as well. I don't know if you can see her there as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. BTS and Eminem. But yeah, like I'm just, I I get starstruck super easily. So I'm not sure if interviewing celebrities is the best thing for me, but (laughs) it's, it's still fun. It's still fun to do. No, that's true. Well, how do you find that dynamic? You said the interview with Rambir Kapoor, that was just over telephone. So it wasn't any visuals. So we've actually, when we started a podcast, we was doing a podcast in person. Then when we've moved to doing it online, I believe we've always just done it over Zoom, like with video. We've never, there's never been a case where someone's had their video off. How, how do you find that dynamic? Like if you're just speaking to someone over the phone compared to speaking to someone like in person or face to face, is it like more 
Is it easier in any way or is it actually harder or no difference? I'd probably say it's, I'd probably say it's a bit easier just because um, it's less like you're less worrying. Like I don't worry as much about how I look and I'm like, oh, okay, I just have to focus on what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So like I can be in my pajamas and, and look like dog shit and it's all right because they can't see me. So it's kind of, it's nice in that sense. But I do like everything. Like, just like I said, I find it very difficult to pay attention for prolonged periods of time. So I'd prefer to see them. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say I'd say video and audio, like they're very complementary to each other. But I'm all right with just audio. Podcast, like interview type environment, if you don't see the other person, it's also becoming very tough because, yeah, it's just like the attention thing as well. Like I feel like it's way tougher. It's not like a work call. It's like they're trying to do something, but it's sometimes hard to pick up the correct tone of everything. It's hard to like read the room, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you say something and then you can't tell if people are smiling or like angry or crying or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like obviously no one's crying on your podcast, I hope, but still it's like you can't really tell what people are feeling. And obviously facial expressions give a lot of that away. So it is, it's helpful to have it, I think, when it comes to like, you know, social interactions in general. But yeah, I'd imagine that would be difficult with podcasting. Yeah. And these interviews you're doing, are they with, I don't even know if you can like even say this, but are they with like a company basically um when i first started journalism and the documentary that i made that's on this online south asian platform and it's called desi blitz and that's basically like obviously as the name suggests it's everything everything they see all brown people so that's why i've been interviewing celebrities and that's why a lot of the issues i write about so i did so obviously i've done the light-hearted stuff like oh i interviewed hamza productions or i interviewed Rambir kapoor or I could have interviewed Saif Ali Khan, but my friend forgot to tell me that they were doing an interview with him. So I was like, bruh, really? Like, you know, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like, you've got number one Bollywood fan in your office and you forget to tell me. But anyways, I'll let that one slide. So anyway, um, yeah, I do stuff like that where it's like chill and I like to just sit and chat with people. But then obviously there's the heavier stuff and that's what I started doing. So like I've written about like child abuse in like Pakistan and in India and you know, like all sorts of heavy ass shit that people aren't really talking about, but it's clearly an issue. But yeah, it's online platform. It's basically everything busy, everything South Asian related. So yeah, that, that's basically what, what I've been doing with them. One more question on the like, yeah, interviewing like the famous like celebrities and all. Do you come up with the questions yourself? Yeah, I come up with the questions myself. Sometimes the other journalist who I work with, sometimes he helps along as well. Um, and he, he tends to like oversee everything. So I'll come up with questions. He might tweak a bit here and there. Uh, but sometimes he'll come up with questions if I don't know the celebrity that well. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of like a team effort, I'd say. No, that's cool. And then there as well, you said like you got you also do like heavy stuff. Do you prefer one to the other? Kind of the heavy stuff or the lighthearted stuff with like interviewing celebrities and like video? It's like one, I see like one side you've got maybe it makes a bit like it makes more of an impact like what you're writing about like it's more but the other ones just i know there's not a lot of pressure and you don't have to kind of well it's still pressure but it's not like it isn't heavy like you can like yeah 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 i think i prefer them as in i like them both in their own unique ways but i think when it comes to essentially the type of work i do like obviously i think i think generally like we're 
we're all multifaceted beings, right? Like you might want to sit and laugh and joke and take the piss one day. And another day you might be like, actually, I want to talk about this hard hitting shit that's really affecting my world. Yeah. That's okay. Like I, I don't, I, as in, I know a lot of people might think, oh, this person's more, you know, she does more this kind of stuff where it's just interviewing celebrities and lighthearted stuff, whereas somebody else does like only heavy stuff and purely heavy stuff. And I don't know. I find that really quite limiting because I think like you can talk about anything you want. Like even with you guys in your podcast, like obviously heavy stuff can come up, but then you yeah. can sit and laugh and take the piss out of each other as well. And I think that's what life's all about. You know, it's a healthy medium. But I think essentially when it comes to journalism itself, it's about making an impact for me, I think, which is why I want to talk about heavy shit, which is why I want to, you know, challenge the status quo, you know, basically make people question everything they've ever believed because until you do that you don't truly know what it is you believe if that makes sense if you've been fed something your entire life and you never question it you don't really believe it it's just been indoctrinated you know and I think it's really important to challenge some of those beliefs and because again I think in so many not just in South Asian culture but in culture in general in the mainstream there's so much internalized misogyny and there's just so much stuff that is swept under the rug, but we just accept it because it's like, well, that's how it is. And that's how it's always been. And, you know, there's those people who think that, that, yeah, that's it. That's how it is. We're not going to change it. And there's other people who are like, well, actually, this is kind of stupid. Like, why are we dealing with this shit in the 21st century? So, you know, I I think a a lot of the stuff I do, it's about wanting to, I guess, evoke some kind of emotion, you know, not, not to make people necessarily like, completely transform their mindset and become a whole new person because I don't think that's possible anyway from from something like that but I think you know one piece of journalism whether it's a video or whether it's an insightful article that is enough to trigger a kind of thought in someone and then that thought can essentially change somebody and change somebody's opinion on something and when I've been freelancing so I had some pieces out in the metro I spoke about experiences with you know the whole Rishta process another thing I spoke about was hijab another thing I spoke about was Islamophobia and my experience with it and I think in in that article in particular the the Islamophobia one one thing I realized I basically wrote about an incident that that had happened myself to me it was like years ago back in uni I was in like second year or something and we have like our own we have like Islamic, you know how they have like different societies in like unis and stuff. So they had Islamic society, right? And I was just on the stall helping out, whatever. And this random guy comes over, really old, not old, but as in, I didn't know why he was at our uni, right? So it was like some old dude. And I was like, that's weird. What's he doing? Anyways, he came, he comes over and he goes, first thing he says, so what do you think of Osama bin Laden? I was like, bruh, what? And then I was so confused. I was like, you want me and I was I was laughing because the thing is I laughed and I was like I mean he was a bad man like I was almost seeking his approval like that's the right answer right and it was really funny because um that started off as it could have been a really hostile conversation we sat we talked for a good half an hour even longer than that possibly oh wow okay yeah it was me and it was the other people on the on the stall and he just asked us loads of questions he was like oh I think Islam is X, Y, Z. This is my reason. And he was basically saying what he disliked massively. And, oh, I believe this. I believe this is unfair. I believe this is unfair. And we just kind of said, oh, well, you know, actually. And then there were so many misconceptions he had, obviously, as there are. We explained them to him. And he was like, oh, oh, okay, I didn't know that. 
and it was super chill. Like we just we just sat there and talked for ages. No one was shouting. There wasn't any, you know, no one got defensive. Like imagine in situations like that, it's really easy for people to get on the defense and be like, "Oh, yeah. well, what did you just say about me?" But we were all like, "Okay, cool. That's cool. You have a question, we'll answer it. That's what we're here for." Yeah, that's quite nice, isn't it? It's very nice. Yeah. When you first said like he just came over and asked like. What do you think of Osama Bin Laden? I thought it was like some guy trying to like take the piss and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's what... Is that what it started off as in any kind of... As in, yeah, I wasn't sure because he said that and I was like, huh? And then, because again, it just took me off guard completely because I didn't expect that at all. And then he's like, oh, well, actually, you know, the reason I'm asking this is because, and I think he mentioned somebody else said something and he was confused and... And then it turned into a conversation where he started asking more questions. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't like, like it was so easy to be hostile in that, com- like in that kind of conversation. But we chose love. We chose kindness as frigging cheesy as that sounds. That's what we did. Cause it was like, well, what's it going to do? Like, there's two ways you can respond to hate. You can either fuel that hatred further by carrying on being a dickhead. Or you can think, actually, I'm going to break that cycle here. And that's what we did. And at the end of that conversation, I remember he shook my hand and he goes, honestly, if there were more Muslims like you in the world, I think the world would be a better place. And I'm not saying that to gas myself up because when he said it, I was like, oh, that's sweet. I don't think I'm that great, but clearly he did. So he must be right. But anyways, yeah. So I remember when he said that, I was like, imagine like it took that just a conversation to change his mindset from y'all are all frigging psychopaths who love Osama Bin Laden to actually you guys are, you guys are all right. It's just, I don't know, I think it's just really important because we kind of underestimate those conversations. It's so easy to just sit down and talk to someone and understand someone, but people don't want to understand people, I think. I think there's this fear that comes with understanding people, unfortunately. But clearly it wasn't that easy. I mean, it wasn't that hard for us to just have that kind of bond, you know? So I think that says a lot about humans. Like, we can be dickheads, but... It's quite easy to sit down and, and talk to people and try and understand them, you know? How did, like, journalism start off? Like, when did you think, like, okay, I want to challenge, like, the status quo and write about stuff that will make people uncomfortable? Because that isn't something I imagine, like, a 15-year-old me really even, like... Understood the con- Yeah, yeah. Like, I get what you're about. saying. You know what it is? Like, I think growing up, I always... I questioned a lot of things around me just generally, right? And... I just asked, like, I think like all people, like, I was a very inquisitive child. I just used to ask questions and I wondered a lot about different people and about different things and about the world. And I think all kids are like that, but not everyone follows that through. Like, some people think, yeah, okay, I'm going to stop asking questions now. I don't really give a shit. Other people are like, oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder why this is. I wonder why that is. So it started with that, with being just an inquisitive child. And then as I grew older, and I think, because in my primary school, it was an amazing primary school, but I was the only brown kid in my class pretty much. And um, so I was, I pretty much stuck out like a sore thumb. So, you know, it, I had that feeling of being like, feeling a bit like an outsider and, and not really fitting in. And that was like a very familiar feeling for me. And I think seeing how I felt and realizing how shit I felt being ostracized for being brown, for being the only Muslim kid it made me think like, oh, I, I really don't want people to feel that way, what, whatever, whatever their story is. So, you know, like 
if somebody is being ostracized because they're of a different religion, I wouldn't want that. If someone's being ostracized for, because of their sexual orientation, again, I wouldn't want that because I've seen one side of that and it's just a horrible thing to go through. And I think that's why I find, especially when it comes to homophobia within a lot of not just South Asian communities, but Muslim communities, it's, it's so ironic because when you see a minority persecuting another minority, it's like, have we learned nothing? Like all the crap that you've gone through only for you to then do that to someone else. I don't, I don't understand that. And I think that's, that's where this whole principle of, you know, let's all love and understand it. Like this very hippie principle that I have, it came from that. It essentially just came from being the only, you know, to put it bluntly, the only packy that there was and ending up, you know, having people say shit to me, which sometimes wasn't great. And I didn't have it awful. Like, it's not like, oh my God, like I had the worst every single day. I didn't, but I I still had some negative experiences. And then I thought, oh, I would hate for somebody else to feel this way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, me being picked on or being shat on for being a Muslim why would you shit on somebody else because they're gay? Essentially, they're both identities. They're both who you are. And I just don't think it's fair to, to you know, argue about whether somebody's existence is worth having, like, if that makes sense. Because, you know, so many people are like, well, no, people shouldn't be gay because this, that, and the other. But someone's existence isn't up for debate. Somebody's right to live freely and to live in a dignified way, that's not for debate. What I believe anyway is if God puts every single person on this planet, they are worthy of having a good life. Mm -hmm. And you can't play God by saying, actually, no, you're forbidden, you're haram, you're this. I, I don't agree with that at all, and I never can. So that's where my whole hippie idea came from. And and I think the reason I, I've, I got so riled up about this entire thing was because I was hearing so much ignorance. Like I remember when I was maybe in year 12 or year 13, there were like a group of girls in the common room. I don't know why I was listening to their conversation, but I was, right? And um, I heard them talking and, and they were like, oh yeah, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, what, they said something really weird. They, basically, they, they said something along the lines of, oh, you see with Muslims, we don't teach our children to be gay, right? teach our children to be gay. Think about that statement right now. I was so confused. She was like, see, look, we don't teach them this. That's why we don't have stuff like this in our culture. And I turned, I wasn't even part of the conversation. I don't know why I got involved. I turned around and I was like, or maybe it's just because they're all in the fucking closet still. Like, who are you to sit down and say, like, we don't teach someone this. You can't teach someone anything. You don't teach someone to be a sexuality. You know, and I was just so mind boggled by this statement. And I literally sat there and I thought, are these actual words coming out of your mouth? Like I was so confused because I didn't think someone could be that ignorant, but apparently people were. And, you know, it's not even just stuff like that. It's like with anything when it came to race, you know, like casual slurs that people I'd see, hear people saying about different races or when it came to gender as well, like, oh, but it's okay because he's a man. And, and the amount of times I've heard that shit, I'm like, how are you guys sitting here and just dealing with this crap and not being able to be intelligent enough to draw the parallels with your own life? Like, if you're someone who has gone through shit as a brown person, as, you know, as 
a minority, then you should be able, you should be intelligent enough to draw those parallels and realize that, you know, this shouldn't have to be an issue for anybody, you know, regardless of their orientation, their religion, anything. And I think that's why I became a big advocate for, you know, let's talk about the shit no one wants to talk about, because clearly nobody else is doing it. So yeah, I, I guess that's how, that's how it all started for me. So did it start off with you kind of writing these articles like in a blog or like just freelancing on the side kind of thing and then developed into more than just kind of a hobby? So, yeah. So basically it was, it was, I started in a really weird way. So basically what it was, um, I remember years ago, I was like, I just turned 19 and um, we were doing this charity fashion show and I, w- I was meeting a lot of different girls there. They were all really sweet. And this girl was saying to me, oh, look, I wrote this article on this website. And she showed me her article. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And she goes, oh, you know, they're always looking for new writers. So if you're interested, why not? And I was like, oh, that's cool. So that's how I started on Desi Blitz, which was obviously this was back in end of 2013 now. So did you not think about it before that? I thought about having a platform of some sort, but I didn't think it would be like I knew that the stuff I talk about is so niche. I didn't see it as a possibility, if that makes sense. I didn't think I'd be able to sit down and be like, okay, let's just create this. I didn't know what creating a website would even entail. Like I never knew that. So like I did that. I started on that on that website. And then obviously I've carried on through the years as I was studying on the side here and there. And recently I started freelancing as well. But yeah, that's that's basically how it started. So it was very much just by chance. Like as in, I knew what I wanted for for a long time. I just didn't know how I was going to present that, basically. Yeah, that's cool. Where can people find like your work and stuff like that? So the, basically the primary place, because, you know, in terms of the documentary and other stuff, it's like desiblitz.com. So my articles would be there. And then on YouTube as well, that's where my documentary is. But then in terms of like freelance, that's a few things on Metro. Another website as well called Girl Dreamer. They're like a really amazing organization. They basically work to give opportunities to many young women of color. So, you know, I wrote for them. Um, I interviewed Pakistan's first ever all-girl band. So it was literally just an all-female ensemble in Pakistan. And as in, obviously, I wouldn't say first ever. There's obviously been loads, like, uh, there probably have been some before, but this is gaining a lot of recognition. So... I saw them on Instagram. I thought they were amazing. And again, it's just it's just not encouraged, is it, in our culture, you know, to do stuff like that, to pursue music, especially as a female in Pakistan. So um, I interviewed them. They were really nice. And yeah, um, I interviewed them. And then, you know, I got that interview up with Girl Dreamer. And yeah, they were they were just they were really cool. They were really chill. But yeah, that's that's basically the kind of stuff that I do. It's like I'm just trying to vary the stuff I do and you know expand my horizons more and write for many different places how does the freelance stuff actually work do you have to like approach them to be like hey can I write this piece for you or do you write a piece and then be like hey I've got this piece here's do you want to use it or another way completely yeah it's a bit of a tiresome process because it's like you will pitch a publication so say if I want to write for I don't know like Metro for example I would send them a pitch, tell them what I want to write, and then they would say yes or no. And then after that, they would tell, they would talk about the points that they want you to address in that. And obviously, every publication is different, so I can't speak for every single one, but that's, that's how they did it. Yeah. So it's, it's very much 
the, the thing about freelancing it is it is chance more than anything it's always about chance it's like someone might see your public like your pitch and think oh this is amazing let's do it somebody else might be like nah not it's not really our thing and you've just got to keep pitching and that's the problem i think with a lot of freelance journalists like it's it's just very difficult because unless you have someone that you're fixed and writing for you you're not really guaranteed that that makes sense yeah so was there like any other specific bits on religion that you didn't like as well because you said in the common room obviously they whether they believed it to be xyz and it being completely different i don't know because i feel like that's where a lot of the in school is at least where a lot of the differences start to occur because people are just narrowly educated through their parents and the school doesn't obviously educate us widely enough i'm not gonna lie there's probably been way more experiences that i'm repressing just for <laughs> obvious reasons <laughs> but like the most vivid thing was that common room incident because i was like you know when it comes to a point where it's so ridiculous you can't tell if you're hearing this or not like i genuinely was questioning my reality in that moment because i thought there is no way an actual human being is saying these words but it turned out they were. So, I mean, that was something that was like a huge shock to me because I thought this can't be frigging real. Um, I think as well in uni, so like in Sheffield, University of Sheffield, when I went there, it was diverse, but there was a lot of, it wasn't diverse, it wasn't Birmingham diverse, right? Let's put it that way. Okay. So it was like, it was very nice. I really liked it because I think one thing, and, and it's a shame that I felt this way, but I really was... I was excited to move out for uni because I was really excited to get away from everyone's judgments because I associated Birmingham with my school. Like, so the, the secondary school I went to was very diverse. And unfortunately, a lot of other South Asians that I knew of, you know, some of them I was great friends with and it was fine. And then some of them, I just felt a lot of judgment and narrow mindedness. And I, I don't even think they they might have been trying to be judgmental or trying to be narrow-minded. It's just that that was their, it was just tunnel vision for them. You know, they had a very restricted view of their lives. So anybody else who was outside of that was just, it was just insane for them. And when I went to Sheffield, I didn't have that problem at all. I didn't feel judgment from anyone. Like I felt like I was really in a place where I felt I could grow and I could thrive without fear of anybody's judgments, without fear of anybody saying anything. And it's really amazing to think that for so many years, I was in a place where I just didn't feel comfortable enough to fully, as in, I wanted to speak openly. And obviously I tried, but I knew that there would be backlash because people could be a certain way people could be judgmental in Sheffield I didn't feel that but I think again like so I did my master's and my LPC here in Birmingham and sorry what's the LPC I was gonna ask it earlier but legal practice course so it's like the training to to do like to become a solicitor basically so obviously you'd think again that people do on this course would be fairly open-minded or intelligent to some extent because you know they've made it this far <laughs> but um it was just really weird like because being back in Birmingham was just odd that's that's the first thing I was like this is really weird I forgot what this felt like and and I felt like I was in school all over again I can't lie like I was like this is really weird and you know there are a few people I got along with and a few people who I found really cool and easy to speak to but for the most part there was a lot of yeah, it was it was just a very again, it was that tunnel vision. Like I felt like I'd regressed. I was like, 
I went to Sheffield for this many years. I went to Spain for a year and I've come back and I'm back in the, like my stupid little hometown where everyone thinks the same. And it felt, it felt really weird. And, and I felt kind of sad. I was like, am I really back in this shithole? Like, I did I love Birmingham, but it's shit. Let's be real. Like, I get that completely. Cause when I was at like, uni, I was like, there's literally no boundaries and nothing being put on you or restrictions in terms of due to lack of education or, you know, lack of awareness. It's just pure freedom. And then when you go back, it's just like, it's back to the same old silly shit. So you, you start to phase it out and then you just try to carry on with what you can. Yeah, exactly. It's, it really is that thing. And I don't know if that's just the general feeling everyone gets when they move out from their hometown to a different city and then come back to their hometown because they're like, oh shit, I'm back in this little place. Because obviously like, when you're at uni, there's a lot of growth that happens there, I think. And so when you go back to your hometown, you, you kind of remember, I think subconsciously, I remembered how I was before I moved out. So I'm like, oh, I'm back in that mentality again. But yeah, like people came up with some weird shit, man. Like even in my master's, like, again, like there was a lot of homophobic shit, which I just thought, wow, like you guys are going to be solicitors, you know, like you have these opinions, you're this homophobic. And you're meant to be like, you're meant to be this, this like example for justice and you believe shit like this. It, it just, it boggles my mind genuinely. It really does. And like, I remember cause I was talking to one guy in, in my masters. So I did law with Spanish at uni at Sheffield. Right. So I studied in Spain for one year as well. I did Spanish law and I was telling him. He was also Pakistani. I was like, oh, I did law with Spanish at uni at Sheffield. And he goes, you did what? And I was like, I did law with Spanish. And he goes, oh, well, you're a Paki. Stay in your lane. And I was like, really? Like, you really going to tell me this shit? And I was like, like, it's that kind of self-limiting and self-restricting attitude that is the reason that so many brown people like are still in their little brown bubbles and they have no idea what's happening in the real world. And and it's just really sad because it's you're limiting yourself. Like there's a whole world out there, and you're actually sitting here and telling yourself, "Nah, like I shouldn't be doing this because I'm a like I shouldn't learn another language because I'm a Paki." Okay, like how does that make any sense? So yeah, it's it's just really sad because like you you just don't expect it, and especially because that goes into the fact that like like obviously if we look in like the mainstream media, there are hardly any brown people, right? And the very few that there are, we kind of cling on to with both our hands because that's all we've got. But then even so, like, it's so difficult for people to actually get there in the first place because of how discouraged it is. Because again, it goes back to this self-limiting attitude. Yeah, but we're brown. We don't do that shit. We do not have these jobs. We do not go in the media. We don't become actors or journalists or singers. We're going to sit here and we're either gonna, you know, have some professional job or a random whatever job. That that's what we do. We don't do this other shit that white people do. So it's, you know, we say you get on the one hand, you get brown people sitting here complaining, oh, there's not enough representation in the media, and rightfully so, because there isn't. And then when there is, they're like, yeah, but that's not even like that's not our thing. We shouldn't really be doing that. And again, like they'll they'll be quick to shit all over their achievements. Like, oh, you know, this person, this amazing singer or actor you know they're brown they're pakistani or they're indian and that's an amazing thing that's a step in the right direction but they're like yeah but they don't represent all of us of course they don't not one person can't represent everyone that's just not how it works like we're multifaceted beings like there's so many different aspects and so many different sides to us you need more than just one human being of color 
in the media to represent you. You know, when there's like dozens and dozens out, that's when you can think, oh, okay, I relate more to this one. I'm a, I relate more to this one. But it's really unfair. And I think it's a very unnecessary and unfair amount of pressure to place on one brown famous person. Like, you know, all of our like communities, self-respect and honor lies in this person. And that's how a lot of them feel, which is why so many of them are either massive supporters of them or they're like staunchly against them. Like, no, they do not represent me. I do not like this pe- this person. And then to add on, like the hearsay and gossip seems to affect everyone else's opinion of it for some reason. But then they're not willing to either do it themselves or, you know, like be that different person that they want the change, but then they don't want the change necessarily. I think that's one of brown, like us as brown people, one of our biggest flaws is that we love to sit and bitch about people just generally, (laughs) like genuinely, like that's not even like they love to sit and bitch about people as in they will complain a lot, but then they won't actually do anything about that. Like, oh, this is really shit. Okay, what are you going to do about it? No, nothing. I, I just wanted to say it's shit. And there's, it's just such a common theme. I've seen so many brown people do that. The same, just like you were saying, like in, in the media, you know, we accept that this is wrong or whatever, but then we're not, we don't care enough to actually make a change. So it's like very half-assed. It's like, we'll bitch about it, but then that's it. We're not actually going to do anything because that's not our thing. We're not meant to be doing that anyways. Yeah. I think you might need your own like podcast, Yeah. <laughs> we'll add another one to the third wheel umbrella yeah I was, I, was, I was just like listening i was like you say it very well basically you say you sense. talk a lot that's what i was saying in a gossipy way thank you He's no no it. it's like but then you you know you were able to talk a lot and you weren't you didn't like stumble if that makes sense like he i'd be saying like like a lot or like um or like stuff like that she's a journalist Aaron. this is this is what they meant <laughs> <laughs> no thank you that means a lot to me aaron thank you genuinely because right, you guys uh, have your own podcast so that's something i've always aspired yeah. to do so you did law like in the middle of that you were saying how you did law at sheffield and all is that something you're currently pursuing i am a confused individual i don't really know what i want i'm not gonna lie like i said i want to do journalism but then I also want to do law because I'm like, well, I did the LPC. I've kind of come this far. But then in order to become a solicitor, you kind of need a training contract. And I do want a training contract because I do want to be a solicitor because I want that to go somewhere. I want all of that energy that I put in to go somewhere positive. But essentially, when I first studied law, when I first started it, I was like, again, this hippie mentality. I want to make the world a better place. Oh, I want everyone to love each other. Like it was all that, right? And that was why I did law. I was like, yeah, man, like justice. People need to love each other. People like, this is why I did it. And I was like, and my parents were like, oh, you know, you're going to be a lawyer. And I was like, no, no mother, no father. I shall not become a lawyer. I am going to save the world. And my dad was like, yeah, okay. Like, obviously he was just like, yeah, I'm just going to let you talk because you're just chatting shit right now. But I was like, I'm going to save the world and justice and human rights. And that was why I did law, essentially, because I was like, oh, I'm going to find out about the laws. I'm going to look at the inconsistencies. I'm going to you know, I'm going to look at all these human rights infringements that are happening across the globe. That clearly never happened. But (laughs) (laughs) that was why I did it. Those were my intentions. And then as I did it afterwards, I was contemplating to do a master's and I had two options. I was like, I can either do my master's in journalism or I can do it in law. Sat and like, I've really contemplated. I spoke to so many friends. I was sitting there for ages trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I spoke to I spoke to the big G about it as well. I was like, mate, like help me out because I really don't know what I want to do. And yeah, in in the end, I think I think my parents were like, just do law. <laughs> so I was <laughs> like, okay. And then in that moment, I thought, okay, fine. Like let me just do it. Like if I was meant to do journalism, it would happen. Or you know, I can still. I was thinking logically that 
to break into journalism, qualifications aren't 100% unless you're in certain mm-hmm. roles. Whereas to break into law, you need the degree, otherwise you, you're going nowhere. So I thought, oh, it probably makes sense to do a master's in law because then that way I'm qualified. And also the skills are transferable to journalism too. So I kind of saw the best of both worlds in that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And uh, yeah, as your Instagram bio says, a jack of all and master of none is better than a master of one. Very yeah. true though. It is very true. So alongside your articles and your other journalism work, you also had a piece on hijabs, hijabs, like people are usually... I was going to ask that, like how's actually... You can basically, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's the same. Um, Hijab, I guess, is the standard of what people say. But me and my friends used to, because there was this TV show and I don't know if you guys have seen it. Sorry, massive tangent, but it's quite funny. Um, It was called Make Bradford British. And it was on years ago, like 2011, 2012, something like that. Do you remember it? It rings a bell, but there might be another show about Bradford. Yeah, uh, there's loads of shows about Bradford. Is Bradford the one with incest or is that a type of place? Oh. No, that, that's Norwich. I thought that was a joke about Norwich. It was either Bradford or it's one of those ones starting with B. I don't know which one it is. Isn't Zayn Malik from Bradford? Yes, he is. Do you know what they call Bradford? They call it Bradistan because it's literally like the Paki capital of Britain. As in, there's some parts that are divided, very white and very Pakistani. But generally, no, um, it's a very Pakistani area. So that's why they were saying make Bradford British because there was it was like very separate. So there was one community where it was all Pakistanis and there was another community where it was all white people. And there was this one white dude. It was so funny. He ended up making like, again... He had a nice conversation with this Muslim guy and he goes, oh, you guys aren't that bad. And they became friends at the end. So again, this is like the power of conversation. But anyways, I remember at the start, he was like, yeah, I don't like these Muslims and they do this and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, and they just walk around with their with their hijabs or whatever they're called. And after that, I couldn't stop calling it a hijab because I just I couldn't stop laughing. But yeah, side note. Yeah, you can call it whatever. Hijab, hijab, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really make a difference. But yeah, carry on. Sorry, because you were going to say something. No, honestly, I just wanted to know about the piece and the, the article on it because I, I don't know how many of our previous guests actually wear one, if any. Oh, okay, cool. Oh my. Unless, unless I missed something. Unless I missed something. <laughs> let, me, let me just verify before. I <laughs> it's a pretty big thing to miss though, Hamish. I think you would have noticed if someone was wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but some, some people could opt out at like 18 or something. You know? Like it depends. Like I've seen like various different versions. Some people start wearing it at 18. Is it, is it something you have, like, you have to wear all the time? So basically it's like, I think the first thing to establish, so hijab, which is like the standard, the standard generalized term that's used to describe a headscarf. Hijab doesn't actually mean headscarf. It, means, it literally means barrier in Arabic, right? Um, but it's used in colloquial terms as a headscarf, right? So it's basically worn by women and they wear it in front of all men who are not their direct relative or so for example I wouldn't wear it in front of my dad my brother my son if I had one my uncle my husband that kind of stuff right um but otherwise it's just it's just a covering for um for that basically for everyone else and but it's again it's 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 for men so when I'm with my girlfriends they wouldn't they can see me without it so yeah that's basically what it is and it's it's like a very personal choice, which a lot of people seem to forget because I know there's, unfortunately, there's a lot of girls, young girls who from a young age, they're like either forced or very heavily influenced by their parents. Like, you need to wear it now. You need to wear it now. 
And obviously that's that's just not what it should be. That's just that's not what it's about. How I feel anyway about religion. And there's like verses in the Quran that literally say there is no compulsion in religion. So it's it's just really sad for me to see that that kind of stuff is being forced. And obviously when, when something's forced on you, you don't want to do it. You start resenting it. Um, and that tends to be the case for a lot of girls. But basically what it was with me, so no one in my family wears it, just a heads up. No one wears it. I started wearing it when I was like 14. And the reason I started wearing it, it was like a really weird, I don't know what happened. It was it was also in my hippie days, right? So it was it was like, I don't remember what, I was reading something about some girl who wore a hijab or a headscarf and she was talking about her experiences and she was sharing her befores and afters like before she started and after and stuff like that. And it was just, there was a lot of like, I felt like it was a lot deeper than people like to make out. Because, you know, when people think of headscarf and hijab, they're like, okay, modesty, that's it. Like, that's like the general overarching term when they think about it. They're like, oh, so it's modesty. But then it's it's not just modesty. It's there's There's so much, there's so much to it. Like essentially when you wear a headscarf, it's like, it's a reminder for yourself that, okay, this is my faith. So it's something important to you. And on top of that, I think, and the reason I started wearing it was because I thought, okay, you know what, when everything, especially in this day and age where women are very much pressured to dress a certain way, to look a certain way, it's kind of like a statement that says, well, you know what, I'm a lot more than than who I who I look like. You know, I'm much more than than such superficial aspects. You know, I'm more than my beauty, I'm more than my hair, I'm more than my body. Like when you when someone wears a headscarf and how I always felt, I was like, this person, you can only see what I choose to let you see. And for me and for a lot of other women, that's a very liberating move. I understand for some people, they commonly associate it with oppression. And for some people it is oppression because they're being forced, right? Obviously that's oppression. But I see it as, well, you know what? You're only going to see what I let you see and everything else, I'm going to be respected for who I am as a person, for, you know, the content of my character, for my heart. That's how I always saw it. And that's why I started wearing it. And that was a very common theme, I think, for a lot of women. I can't speak for all hijabis, but I know a lot of other women who feel the same way that, you know, it's about a reminder of what actually matters. And that's you. That's who you are as a person. That's your intellect. That's your heart. And it's your faith. And um yeah, nobody else has, has, you know, unprecedented access to that. So that's why I started wearing it. Sorry, you were saying something. Oh, no, no, I was just going to ask. So you obviously also made the choice. So because you don't have to wear it fully or like you don't have to cover your neck or anything. So in your case, you made the choice to just cover most of your hair. Am I right? Or So basically, and this is what my hijab article touched on. So obviously, you can see I don't I don't wear it in the traditional yeah. sense. Obviously, like you can see how, you know, normally it's like fully this here covering the neck every strand of hair right that's how I used to wear it for years as well and I think as I grew older I started to just feel a bit more comfortable with and I don't know what triggered it or what peaked it but I I just somehow started to feel like oh actually I kind of like having this on show and I, I went through like a really weird phase because when I started showing a bit of my hair so many people would say to me like you know there's no point of wearing it because you're just you know you're not doing it properly just take it off just take it off so many people told me that from family members to random people like literally random people that I didn't even know would say crap like this to me and I I see that they may have been very well intentioned and they may have just been trying to say to me you know what it's okay you don't have to wear it if you don't want to just take it off if you're going to wear it wrong 
as such yeah and I thought I get what you're saying but you know this is what allows me to feel comfortable and I'm not going to say that oh this is correct hijab because I know that technically it's not and I'm not going to sit and pretend it is I could you know it doesn't take a genius to figure out it isn't the correct form but I still know that I'm making my attempt to cover and how I see it anyway is that I think God sees that. I think God sees that, you know, I'm making my own attempt to, to cover and it might not be the full way. It might not be exactly how it should be, but I'm doing what I can and what I want and what I feel comfortable with. And I don't think anybody else should should be shitting all over somebody else's journey because, like I said, it's something very personal. It's really difficult. People forget how difficult it is, especially when you're living in England, to cover up fully and, you know, very, like, boldly, Pretty much, you know, as soon as you, you you cover your hair, everyone knows you're a Muslim. Like, there's no doubt about it. And that's something that's quite difficult to face when when you're already a minority anyways. But yeah, that's that's how I started wearing it. Uh, I started wearing it properly. Then I had this transition phase when I had... Oh, that was my brother. He sneezed. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I had this transition phase. And then after that transition phase, because I got so upset and and I guess hurt by a lot of the things people were saying I had a phase where I thought I'm just going to take it off then because clearly some people are saying this for a reason I took it off and then when I took it off it was hilarious because then people were like oh why did you take it off and I'm like are you freaking kidding me like were you not here like the past like six months when you were like saying all this abuse to me about how I'm doing it wrong and that how it's you know it's it's embarrassing and it's this and it's that and then I don't know what happened. I think I was just lying awake in bed one night and I thought, why did I let people change my identity? Like, fair enough. Like, I knew I wasn't doing it the correct form as such, but then that's not a reason to let somebody else completely shit all over who you are as a human being, that your identity, like, I shouldn't have let them rain on my parade like that. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we're imperfect. We're humans. Of course, we're imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. It's just unfortunate that some people's mistakes are more obvious than others. When I realized that, I thought, you know what, that's fine. I'm going to wear my headscarf exactly how I feel comfortable wearing it. And that's basically what I what I do now. And that was basically what I wrote about in my hijab article, this entire journey, you know, from start to finish. And, um, you know, my basically the significance of that article was just don't get over people, you know, don't judge people. Like everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own stuff they're dealing with. Like just let them do them. Yeah, you started wearing it when you said you were like 14 or so. And then when you started wearing it, like in school and stuff, although you said secondary school is quite a diverse place. People were lovely, like non-Muslim friends, Muslim friends. They were all really sweet about it. They were like, oh, you look so cute. You look so nice. And I was like, oh, thank you. Okay. But yeah, again, people were supportive. But yeah, it's it's really funny. Like everyone, there's like a common theme when it comes to like it's there's this concept hijabis get it it's called hijab puberty and it's like you know how when you grow up and obviously you go through your ugly phases and you look clap and then you look weird and then you get a bit better looking you know what i'm on about right it's the same with hijab when you first start wearing it you have no idea what you're doing so i'm like uh, i'm just gonna tie this cloth here and you kind of look like a muppet and then as you get older you're like oh i figured out how to do it so yeah you just kind of evolve and over the years you find ways to to best suit yourself and stuff like that so yeah, it's it's very much like people always say like, oh, you're lucky you don't have to worry about hair as much. But I mean, you still do because when I think when you wear a headscarf, especially when women wear headscarves like fully covering their hair, 
you have to think of like a perfect way to wear it so that it you know suits your face and complements you and stuff like that. What I remember like most recently at least is every time someone mentions the hijab, I always think about the time when there was controversy when I think Nike released the oh god that's the first thing that comes around like how the fuck do people have an issue with this wait so what did they have an issue with like i think people just had an issue with nike releasing a a hijab like a sports hijab for obviously when did that when did that happen like a few years ago four five years ago it's not like super recent but like it was recent enough that that's the first thing that comes to our mind like people had an issue with this as if it bothered their daily livelihoods by (laughs) them seeing another section in the shop oh they still sell it yeah, they, they still sell it, but I'm yeah. just like... 25 quid on ASOS. I just never understood why people <laughs> had an issue with it. There's like also many articles on it. Like You can still see like many articles on it. As if, it, as if one new product affected them so yeah. mentally when they didn't need it. I'm, I'm confused though. Like, Who was it who was hating on it? Was it people who didn't like hijab? Because I know there were Muslims who were complaining too. I don't know about the Muslim one. I, 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 I saw non-Muslim issues with it. it seemed, I'm pretty sure there was like a... There was an article from one of the big media outlets that was removed or something. Oh no! To be fair, it wasn't pr- like it wasn't that but much of an issue. It was more just I saw the here and there comments. Muslims would be like, "Why are y'all just like using something that like?" Because is it made these seem as like Nike releasing it? It's like a fashion thing. I think some people felt that, but I think the main, the only issue I had, it wasn't even an issue, but I just thought, mate, why is it 35 quid? That was it. That's all I said. <laughs> I was like, it does the job, I'm sure. But it's like, I literally have scarves. Like again, like when I went through my hijab puberty, I used to wear scarves like that when I was a kid. Imagine, yeah. When I was like 14, I'd have things like that. Because again, they're just like tightly fitted and they're good for sport. But I can get, I can go to Southall and get one of them for four quid. Like I don't, I don't see why like. I don't, I don't see why they're sitting here and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to charge 25 quid for this amazing piece. It's literally just a piece of cloth that has that tick on it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, people are always going to have a problem, aren't they? Like, you can't please anyone. Everyone, sorry. I mean, it's the same because with that hijab article I wrote, you will not believe the abuse that I got for that article. Oh really? my good God. Yeah, and it was hilarious because, because there was haters, you know, there were the Islamophobes, which I completely expected. And then there were the Muslims who were like, oh my God, haram, haram, you're forbidden, this is wrong, this is wrong, you're promoting evil, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I was like, oh, how cute is that? Like, I finally allowed the Islamophobes and the Muslims to unite in their hatred for me, so I've done something, right? But yeah, it was it was just really funny, because I was like, who would have thought that this is the one thing that makes you guys unite? Like, it was just hilarious, because my whole article, the point of that was just you can't please everyone, so just do your thing and mind your business. Everyone's on their journey. You can't judge people. That was it. That was the reason I wrote it. And in the comments, so many people were like, I don't want to read about this stuff. I don't care about this. Don't read it then. Yeah, innit? I was like, <laughs> you clearly care enough to, to comment, but all right, so if you do your thing, boo. But yeah, like loads of people were commenting. So Islamophobes, again, like I didn't mind them as much because I kind of expected it. And you know that when someone's that far gone in their belief, it's like, I can't change you and I'm fine with that. But when it's like other Muslims, shitting over you i think that's like the problem and essentially that was the problem because imagine the first time i took my headscarf off it was because of muslims who said you're wearing it wrong and fair enough like i can see like i said some of them were were very well intentioned but if you're going to tell someone they're doing something completely wrong and that it's better for them to take it off then you know if anything you're leading them further away from faith right so why why do you think that's a good thing why do you think that's right so yeah, it's just it's just funny because I just I wrote all of that. I poured my heart out, and I was like, "Oh, they still don't get it." 
But I guess people who aren't going to get it just aren't going to get it. Yeah, people would rather spend time to write a comment on it Insta post than to scroll past it. Like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, that's what I mean. And I think that was a tough pill I had to swallow when it came to journalism. Understanding that not everyone is going to be willing to shift their views. Because like I said, I have this hippie approach of, yeah, let's all love each other. Let's all make people love each other. But you can't make anyone love anyone, unfortunately. Even if you think you're spreading peace and you're spreading you know, this idea of coexistence and love. If people don't harbor that in their heart to start with, it's never going to come. So you can't, there's only so much you can do with certain people. And I think that was the toughest pill for me to swallow because dealing with that, I almost felt like I had haters in a way in that comment section. I was like, oh my God. And I remember I'd be like, I like, it really got to me. Like I remember the next day, like I randomly woke up at 5am, checked the comments and then went back to sleep. Like this is how deep it got for me. So yeah, it's just, it's just really, it's just sad. I think, like I said, people, people aren't willing to, to really make a difference, but they're willing to spread that hate and they're willing to just, yeah, they're, they're just not willing to see things from other people's perspectives, yeah. I guess. Have you seen the Spanish TV show Elite? Uh, I watched a bit of it. I, I wasn't that into it, but I know that caused some controversy, right? Yeah. Cause there's a character in there called Nadia who like. Wears a hijab. Yeah. Yeah. But then she gets, she goes, she ends up on this scholarship to like this really fancy like private school or whatever with a load of like rich people and then they threaten to expel her if she wears her hijab mm. and then she like takes it off she just goes with it yeah like and stops wearing it like in school so there's a lot of controversy where it's just kind of like yeah she just went with the status quo with it all. exactly i mean i'm I'm so numb to these storylines because every storyline like when i see a hijabi i get excited and then I'm like, well, actually, I bet by episode three, she's going to rip her hijab off and start dating a white dude. Like, it always happened. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much right. That's what Nadia did, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's fine, like, the whole day. Because the thing is, these are all issues that are prevalent in society, like, you know, interracial or interfaith dating and things like that. I think that's amazing that people are talking about it. But it's always, oh, my God, white man, you have opened my eyes. I am oppressed. And then they just rip it off. And I'm like, Really? Like, come on, I'm so sick of this story. I'm sick of that narrative. Like, I've heard it so many times before. But, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous, to be honest. But it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, awesome. We've got, like, Wax Lyrical is a, is a game where, um, do you know how the game goes? It's when you say a word and I have to sing a song with that word in the lyrics. Yeah. So yeah, I've got I've got like a few words prepared. So it'll be you against Hamish. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty pretty straightforward game. There's no really. Oh, let's do like buzzers or something. So like, if you want to go first, you gotta like, yeah, just say say something. What's what would you want your like buzzer to be? Bing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hamish. I'm just gonna say buzz then. <laughs> okay. 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 Cool. Cool. First word. Let's start off. Uh, start off easy. And that is stars. Bing. Oh, no buzz. Oh, okay, go on. Uh, yeah, no. Written in the stars a million miles oh, away. I was going to go for airplanes. Yeah. Airplanes is actually where I like took it from. Yeah. But cool, cool. One point, one point. This is actually more way tougher. I, I was trying to say, I'm like, I know there's the stars and airplanes, but I don't want to start singing it and then it's not there yet suddenly. Yep. What is it? Mind block? Mental block? Is yeah. It, is that the word or phrase? Okay. Second word, home. Bing. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. <laughs> oh, they, they say they say looking good for you, Hamish. 
bro, we never win any of the games. <laughs> Third word. Every day. Oh, it's a K-pop song. Am I allowed to sing K-pop? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh, I might verify it. Bing. Every day, day. Every, every day. With you, with you. You won't know the song, though. That's <laughs> the thing. So it's very unhelpful. I was trying to think of that logic song, but I couldn't, like, because the first thing that came to my mind was the Jake Paul song. I was like, I'm not playing it. I'm oh, yeah. I weighed you. That's Every why I played it. Yeah, I, refused to, I refused to say it, Aaron. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait until I can figure out what the logic lyrics are. Oh, so, I forgot that song. Oh, my God. I refused to just do it. I just refused. That was horrendous. <laughs> okay. Fourth word. Source. Bing. Uh, have you heard Juice? It was in. Have you have you seen the film Triple X with Vin Diesel? It, it had Deepika Padukone oh, as well. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a there's a K-pop singer in there. He he made his like American film debut. Anyway, there's a song he does called Juice, and there's one line where he says, "I've got the source." That's it. <laughs> can you can you give us a little little bar from it? I can't lose. I got juice, and they know I do. Come through with the sauce. Something. Getting nasty. Okay, I got yeah, the sauce, yeah. Oh, there we that. go. In my head, I'm trying to think of like the Skepto AJ Tracer lyric, but I don't know which song it's going to. Our, our <laughs> tastes in music are very different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fifth word. Block. Buzz. New Up Block got me on maps when I planned the route. That's a K-Trap <laughs> one, New Up Block. I know, yeah. that, I know that's a real, real bar. Yeah. Appreciate that one. I think that one was handed to me there. Okay. Are you verifying it, bro? I'm telling you. No, no, I'm not verifying. <laughs> I, believe, I believe you. I believe you. I believe That's you. That's a pretty sick bar. I, I don't, I don't you. think. You, you said it. You gave it like the gum fingers and everything. So yeah, like, I The uh, sixth word, stronger. Bing. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes. I was thinking of the yeah, Kanye West one, but I couldn't figure out how the rhythm was. Oh, was like, yeah. yeah. I forgot yeah. the rhythm to that as well. You're right. Seventh word, name. Bing. Call out my name. I've forgotten the tune. You know, by the weekend. I know what you're talking about, but I'm not gonna. She she's right, Aaron, but she hasn't sung it. She hasn't sung it. <laughs> I know what she's talking about. I know Call the exact out song because one of my favorite. Oh shit, that was actually fairly good. <laughs> that one. <laughs> I was gonna say say my name, say my name. Oh, of course, that was a much easier one. Hey, we should just need to get on the buzzer quicker, bro. I'm I'm, I'm too slow, <laughs> and I'm not usually the slow one. We we'll do ten. Eighth word. Close. Bing. Space was just the word that. Oh shit! Space was just the word that created by people who are too scared to get close. I've forgotten the tune, but I remember that lyric. There's, there's, there's um. It's by Nick Jonas and Tovlo. It's called Close. It's literally called Close. Am I allowed to try and steal this? You can, if you if you give me a yeah, go on. Fuck, I don't know the exact one. It's like. You know the song by Chainsmokers, Closer? I don't know if this will count. So it's like, so Legit, baby, pull my clo- baby, pull so my baby clo- pull me closer in the backseat of your Rover. Ra, are you reading the lyrics as we speak? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see your eyes. <laughs> no, no. I <laughs> saw your eyes moving back. You can't fool us. Because, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was close or closer, so I, I actually checked up at the same time. I'm like, shit. Should I should have. Yeah, that doesn't count. I was thinking <laughs> that too. Nice try. Nice try. Thank you. The speed, it wasn't there. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to give anyone points for that. <laughs> That's one less point I lost by, so it's fine. Okay. Eighth word. I'll go, go for that word again. Chocolate. I'm thinking a stiff chocolate here. And I can't actually. <laughs> he says it in so many songs. Bing. But it's a K-pop song again. 
there's a there's a lyric. It goes peaches and cream, sweeter than sweet, chocolate cheeks and chocolate wings. There we go. Oh, I have one now, but it's too late. <laughs> okay. I have um, such a playlist of songs in my head. It's quite. I'm so versatile. This is amazing. Yeah, this is this is impressive stuff. The scoreboard is looking a bit. <laughs> the <laughs> penultimate word, wheel. Bruh, I have no clue. To be honest, I just made the word up. I ain't basing off a song. <laughs> you know, all I can think of is the Wheel of Fortunes, that game show. But that's not a song. <laughs> right, give, us a, give us a different song. A okay, different okay. I'll, I'll make this last one for double points. Do you know what? Let's make it triple points. Can't wait to lose by more points. <laughs> <laughs> Master. I'm thinking of a P Money district when he tells Dot, Dot Rotten that he's using Master Writer, but I can't say it in P Money flow. He's too good. Damn it. I mean, you'd probably get that because I can't think of anything with Master in. Can, can I say, like, P Money Real Talk is the song? He talks about Dot Rotten using Master Writer. No. Nah, that's worth nah, that point. Uh, uh, point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll do a different I'll do a different one. Babes. 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 Or babe. I'm not gonna lie, I'm trying to give Hamish some points here. I'm th- I'm thinking of Man's <laughs> Not Hot. I've like chosen which, a song for it. I don't know which Man's Not Hot song it is. Man's Not Hot, oh my god. Babe, take off your jacket. Man's Not Hot. There oh, we that's go. it, no. <laughs> I said babes. She didn't buzz. She didn't buzz. She didn't buzz. Yeah, but Bing. No, there she we gets go, it. Done. She gets it. <laughs> figured, I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking Yo Babes by Shaka. Oh man, I was thinking of, I thought you purposely put that for Man's Not Hot, but I was like, where's the lyric where he says babe? I'm thinking like. I said, babes, take off your jacket. Oh, so that's, that's a, that's a three point. That wasn't even a bar. That wasn't even a bar. It was just a line. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the assist though. I'll take one point for the assist. Do you, want, do you want one point? I'll give you Should one we, point for the yeah. assist. Okay, cool. That's fine. Okay, Hamish still loses by eight points. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Ari wins a score of 10 to 2. Yay. Do I take the crown then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the, uh, that might be one of the biggest scoreline wins wow. we've had. We've had on the podcast, yeah. On third wheel history, biggest game goal difference. Bruh. <laughs> yeah. I guess on that note, usually we close off the episode on the same kind of note. We have like three final questions, two of which are custom picked. Then we have a call out and a sh- um, shout out. So we'll start off with the first final question, which is: What is one thing you'd like to change in the world, or you wish could be different? It's so hard to pick one, but I think. If I had to, it would be, it would literally be, and I know you're going to roll your eyes because it goes back to my whole hippie mentality, but it would literally be, I wish people could just be open to understanding each other. That's it. I wish people weren't so closed off. That's what I'd want to change. I tried really hard not to like, open, uh, like roll my eyes there. I was like, <laughs> like wait, am I just going to do it? Like, like I'm just directed at you. <laughs> Question number two is, what is your biggest regret? This was really hard for me to think because I was like, of all the shit I've done, what do I regret the most? But then I realized it's the things, again, cliche, it's the things you don't do that you regret. And I think all throughout my school life, I was a very well-behaved, good kid who only did her studies and everyone else would be out and having fun. I wish I just had more fun as a kid. I'd say that was it. No, that's fair. Call out. Yes, this is call out so you can like nominate one of many people to like come on the pod. Yeah. Uh, so is this my nomination time? Yeah. Okay. So I nominate four friends. One of my friends is Anam. 
another friend, Dal Jinda, another friend, Alima, and my older sister, Amber. Awesome. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll get you to send over like their Instagram names and stuff like that. So we can like tag them when we release, release your episode. So in the final section is a shout. Basically, you can just promote anything you want, whether it's social media, your journalism, some work, your portfolio, etc. I was going to say, do I, do I look like a prick if I promote myself? No, 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 no. go for it. It's often done. Okay. <laughs> By that logic, you have many pricks. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do have many pricks, to be honest. In that case, I would like to promote my documentary, which was, when did, I, when did it come out? It's been a few months now, four or five months. I'd like to promote that. And I'd also like to promote my uh, independent works on the Metro. Um, so yeah, I can uh, provide links, I guess, to that. Uh, I'm going to... Same thing I shouted out last week. I, re- I was recently on a podcast called List Envy, which is run by a guy called Mark Stedman. And his podcast is basically every episode they have, he has a guest on and they talk about top five something. And with me, it was top five biopics, so like biographical films. Uh, so if you're interested in that, go check it out. I even included a Bollywood film in there. So uh, yeah, go go check it out. The one I pronounced, pronounced uh, wrong earlier in the episode. So I'm not going to try again. <laughs> And I'm just going to promote uh, a song by Tion Wayne and Ross called Body and Loki's new EP, Awake. Check it out if you haven't already. And then also just check us out on Twitch. As, as always, leave a follow. Feel free to drop in on some of the live streams. And yeah, that's it for me. Thanks, Arub, for coming on. And nice meeting you. No nice problem. You. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for sorting out all my audio bullshit. Because that was that's been like this for a while. You guys fixed it, so thanks. Nice. Man, like Hamish. That's why we've got Pompside degrees in it. <laughs> <laughs> Putting them to good use, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to everyone else for listening as well. And yeah, I guess we'll just speak to you next week. All right. Have All right. See you guys. Bye, guys. Bye.